Hello, friends. Welcome to 1,000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. Uh, I just got back from a trip out to Colorado where I, I went to um, Anselm Society's yearly uh, conference. It's called the Your Imagination Redeemed Conference. It was really great and encouraging. And then I got to spend an extra week visiting with friends. I even got to play a concert at Holy Trinity Anglican near Colorado Springs. That was really fun. Anyway, it was a really sweet time um, just being encouraged in the work that I do um, by the stories and the work of a lot of really dear friends that I've made over the last few years as I've traveled around uh, sharing songs and stories. But on the way home, I got stuck in Houston for a few days. It was kind of crazy. Like the airport was just canceling flights left and right, and I was I was pretty stressed out. So I wrote an email to my patron partners, and I asked them to to please uh, pray that I could get home, uh, and that maybe while I was there, if there was something that the Lord wanted me to pay attention to, that um, that I wouldn't miss I wouldn't miss that. Uh, so today I thought I'd share some stories from that experience. And uh, it was just kind of a good occasion for me to remember that every face in a crowd um, has a story, Uh, just like you do. You're one of those faces, too, and you have a story, but all of those faces have a story. Um, So before I get to that, though, just quickly, I do want to let you know that I am booking now for the Fall House Concert Tour, and I'm looking for hosts So I tour all over the country, and it's really pretty simple to host a concert in your home. Uh, Really, anybody can do it. Um, So if you're curious what it it even means to host a house concert or what a house concert is, you can just check out my house concert how-to page, which is on my website. So you can go to matthewclark.net slash houseconcerts. And house concerts is all one word. So... Uh, just you can go there and see that, and there's also a frequently asked questions document, um, and you can email me. And I'd love to talk to you about that. So get in touch if you want to host. I'll be on the road August through October. For those three months, I'll be traveling solidly, and I would love to come share stories and songs for you and your friends. Okay, so here is this week's episode. It's entitled "Connecting Flights." From a few thousand feet in the air, I saw an arc of lightning skitter across the dark sky and curl back around on itself like a white, hot, heavenly tendril. Looking out the airplane window, I couldn't help but exclaim aloud, Wow! I said, and I felt a little embarrassed at my involuntary shout. A kind older couple sat scrunched next to me in the economy seats on the way from Denver to Houston. I wear earplugs on airplanes, so I wasn't entirely sure how loudly I had spoken. And as the lightning storm continued, I found myself startled again and again, saying, Wow! aloud each time. Soon after we landed in Houston, the tarmac itself was struck by lightning. The captain crackled over the PA, saying that due to the lightning strike, 
We wouldn't be allowed to taxi to our gate for another 20 minutes. The turbines hummed to a stop, and we stayed put for a long while. I was checking my phone nervously because if I didn't get off this plane pretty soon, I'd miss my connecting flight home to Jackson, Mississippi. I could see that it was being delayed, and by the time we finally arrived at the gate close to 11 p.m., it had been canceled. I knew I'd be staying in Houston for the night. So many people were stranded. I saw a mother walking the terminal with a nearly newborn, and a man in his 80s meandering alone through the few shops that were still open. A bundle of high school boys were trying to find hamburgers, and I found a seat near a closed Wendy's where I could charge my phone. I managed to book a hotel, but for the life of me I could not get a ride. There were so many people trying to escape the midnight airport that all the Uber and Lyft drivers were booked. Finally, after almost an hour of trying, I caught one and checked into my hotel a little before 2 a.m. Carlos had picked me up at the airport. I was in such a pinch to book the hotel that I hadn't realized it was 20 miles away from the airport, but anything closer was crazy expensive. Carlos gave me his card so I could call him the next morning for my return ride. The next day, I talked with Carlos on the way back, while hoping I'd be home by the end of that day. Did you grow up here in Houston, Carlos? No, I'm from Venezuela. I've only lived here a little over three years. Before that, we lived in Miami for a few years. Oh, really? Do you have some family back in Venezuela? Yeah, my oldest son still lives there with my two brothers. And you have family here? Yes. My wife and two younger kids are here with me. I have an 11-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. That's cool. You think you'll stay here in Houston? I mean, do you like it here? Carlos went on to tell me a little bit about the differences between Miami and Houston. He misses some things about Miami, the language, the food, but he likes Houston too. They seem to have a good school situation with his kids, and they get to play sports, which they enjoy. His face and his voice are so bright when he talks about his children. I can tell that he not only loves them very much, but enjoys them. Carlos laughs as he tells me a story about how tough his daughter is on the softball field. She picks on her older brother because he strikes out more than she does. Carlos mimics her sassy facial expressions and mocking voice as he tells stories about her. I can tell Carlos is a great dad, keenly attentive to his children. Once when I was in college, I took a short trip to Venezuela, but this was just before the country began to get more dangerous politically. I'm wondering why Carlos left. Carlos, can I ask you something? Did you and your family leave Venezuela, or did you have to, you know, like, escape for some reason? Yes, we actually had to escape. After I was kidnapped. You were kidnapped? I was a little startled. I was. Back in Venezuela, I owned a small business. I didn't have a lot of money, but somebody had been watching my transactions. They knew when I made money, and they knew how much. One day, these guys kidnapped me and demanded that I give them all the money in my business. 
I had to do it. He tells me this in such a matter-of-fact manner. I guess it's been a good many years since the incident, but still, I can't imagine how terrified he must have been. Once they got their ransom, they released me. But they told me that they knew where I lived, where my wife worked, where my kids went to school, and that there would be a next time, basically. When they came back, I better be ready to give them more money. I couldn't believe it. A few minutes ago, I was riding in a taxi with a normal guy. Now I'm riding in a taxi with a normal guy who's been kidnapped, threatened, and managed to flee the country with his family. So what did you do? Well, we decided that even though we had an apartment and a, and a business, we had to find some way to get out of the country. Venezuela is such a dangerous place to live now. Very dangerous. Very hard to make a living. We made it to the U.S. That's crazy, Carlos. I'm glad you made it. Yes, we had to leave everything. But my family's doing good. I asked him how long he'd been driving a taxi. He said about three years. It's good work for him because he can set his schedule around his family's schedule. I can work any job. And I can work really hard. I don't really care what I do. As long as I can be with my family. Nothing matters but getting to be with my wife and kids. I don't want them to have to work as hard as me when they grow up. But I don't want them to grow up without me. I'm trying to take care of them and be a dad who's always there for them. So, I work until they get home from school. I go to their ball games, And I put them to bed at night. And as soon as they're asleep, I go back to work. Carlos dropped me off, and I watched flight after flight get canceled again that day. I did manage to book a hotel closer to the airport with a free shuttle. I don't have the space here to detail the conversation I had with a young Sudanese man who drove that shuttle. He was kind. He's making a home in the United States. And he told me that even though Sudan is a broken place, and a hard place with many hurting feelings, it will always be his country. He will always love it. He will always carry hope that things will get better. I spent the better part of the week in Houston. I was tired and anxious to get home. Maybe airports have a way of concentrating our awareness of the people around us. They are perfect places for people watching. So many colors, shapes, sizes, faces, and voices inhabiting one place. Hundreds and hundreds of walking histories. Each person, a story, interlaced with endless other stories. Who can trace them all? Who knows what poverty or riches have come upon the people we pass in the terminal? To carry them to or from their homes? Who is flying from whom or to whom? I met a man from Ethiopia returning from visiting his mother for the first time in years. I stood in line with a girl from Mexico City with crooked teeth and incandescent blue eyes. A little old Bulgarian lady who pulled scraps of paper printed with phrases in English wordlessly pulled me with her to the customer service desk. Not all the faces and voices I saw while stuck in the airport were gentle. Some were angry, as you'd expect, but most were kind. 
I heard someone say once that there is a person bigger than the universe, and that if he pleases, he may ride a single droplet of dew from leaf tip to the ground in some corner of the wild world where no human has ever set foot. He may unfurl a shocking tendril like a bright bullwhip across the high heavens, even as he bends his ear tenderly in the silence that follows the thunder, to inhabit with us our most hidden stories. Uh, to close this episode, I felt like trying to write a little poem, so um, so I kind of put together this draft this afternoon, and I'll yeah I'll end with this. Your blue eyes light two irises, blooming. Somehow they've seen their way through the tarmac, where the lightning struck delaying the thunderous turning of turbines churning the darkling sky. Now old men wander into midnight chocolate shops. A new mother carries on while boys hunt burgers, and I search the network, the comings and goings, a spectacle of faces, pages and pages read by happenstance, all a blur, a glance patterned and secret, each a language furled along another and told in route. In passing, a shock of ionic brilliance travels a storm cloud I hadn't known held there in the night. Always there. Always held. Thanks for listening, as always. And uh, please leave a review on iTunes and feel free to share this podcast with your friends. And also get in touch if you'd like to learn more about hosting a house concert this fall while I'm on tour. I would love to see you out on the road. That is all for now. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.